Hello, everyone, and welcome back. In today's nonfiction conversation, we have Bo, who I have become acquainted with through the rooms myself. So I wanted to invite Bo on because he shares pretty eloquently as well as in simple ways how, as family members, we need to, we can recover. So welcome to the show, Bo, and let's just get started since I think you're somewhat professional at this. What's your story? How, what brought you to the process of recovery? Have you had your own addiction or been adjacent to someone else's? I would say mostly adjacent, and I, I was very unwilling to, to come to the groups. Um, I was kind of forced here by my, my, who was a person who was my wife at the time, and uh, I didn't want to be there, but uh, that started. And what's funny is I never stopped going, and she quit going after about five years. I mean, five meetings. She quit going. Yes. But you yeah. kept going. Yeah, I've I've gone to meetings since I don't know when it was. We started early two thousands. So here, like when you see family members that keep going and some that quit going, the ones that keep going, would you say their lives come into order more than the ones who quit? Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll go by the fact that the roots make a promise to us. If we are willing to do what it takes, we can live a life of peace and serenity, regardless of what the user continues or doesn't continue to do. And who was the user in your family? For me, it was my daughter. Okay, so tell me what that picture looked like. How did that addiction present itself? Were you aware of it? Did you have gut feelings? Did it explode onto the scene? In our personal life, addiction came... I, my mother has been addicted to painkillers, and that kind of was always on the surface. But when my son developed a dependency, it came through the house like a freight train. What was your experience? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because even in looking back, I can't really tell you how I got to where I am. All I can tell you is her problems began for her, I think, before she got addicted to drugs. I, I, I don't know whether it was uh, – I mean, this is some time ago, and we – went to see a psychologist about her maybe being bipolar and that was what really, was presenting what was presenting to us yeah just uh what seemed to be very apparent behaviors she was having a hard time at school um i thought she was being bullied but you know it's one of those things where it's very difficult to, to 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 look into because nobody wants to be responsible for being accused of that but uh, you she thought had, she was being bullied or yes. she was bullied? No, I thought someone. she was being She bullied. was being, but you just weren't getting to the bottom of it, but you were seeing emotional stuff. Yeah, from. yeah, you were just seeing it in, in terms of how she behaved in classrooms, you know, PTA meetings and all that sort of stuff. And she struggled uh, even in the younger years. And then I think somewhere along the line, um, she became kind of one of those outsiders. Um, I said she was going to very good schools, but she didn't fit in, I guess, is what you might say. And there were... A handful of students who did, and they always seem to find each other yeah. and uh, and hang together. And I think that's probably where she first started experimenting with whatever it was she started experimenting with. She just started to kind of fall away from the, I hate to use the word like normal, but what's typically expected of kids at that age. Right. Like, um, did her schoolwork suffer? Was yes. there Were there increased arguments in the home? Oh, yes. All of that kind yes. of is, it's the apple cart being turned upside yeah. down that and we kind of have was to address also, it. And she was also my first child. So for me, I, I think at first I took it, well, this is raising girls. Don't take that the wrong <laughs> way. But I mean, I know how guys think I'm a guy. Right. I, I've never understood how girls think, and I think everybody would understand that. But I chalked a lot of it up to that. I mean, she was kind of getting towards her teenage years, and yeah. God, everything becomes strange with children when they become teenagers. So. I was chalking a lot of up to that because I didn't know where else to chalk it up to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I don't, I'm not a naive person, but I didn't guess drugs for some time. Well, no, and a lot of people have this thing in their face, and they, I was just, I've been rereading that book, Dreamland, and one of the um, communities discussed in it is Charlotte, and the parents who all had these kids that were addicted to heroin all, it, this section of the book talks about how they assigned everything else possible as what was the symptoms they were seeing versus this can't be heroin. If the kid was nodding off and drowsy all the time, they were just tired. If they oh, were anything yes, but, yes, yes. anything but we will, you know, we will identify it as anything but. So that's I think I think that's normal. Yeah, I think it's well and I think that uh, until until it becomes validated, how would I arrive at heroin? As right. the was that what it was? Uh, no, not at first. I, th I think she played around with a lot of things, but I she she says that she was into heroin and crystal meth. Wow. Were her were her drugs of choice? I never understood that, but yeah. um, I, and I just I wasn't thinking drugs at the time. I mean, I think all kids drink a little, you know, smoke a little, whatever as they're growing up. It's a it's a it's exploratory type of thing. But I, I thought her stuff was more the the people she was running with and, and the way they were treating her, and then how she would, of course, then translate to how she thought about herself, which is something I think is at the heart of all of our problems, yeah, how I, we think of ourselves. I would agree yeah, with and, that. And I think she's an exceptionally bright kid. She's a good looking kid. Um, but I just think that she got to a place where she just didn't think she was worthy of anything, I think is where it goes. Yeah. I mean, I, you're asking me inside her head questions. Right. And I've never really done that. Um, I look back and try to analyze a little bit of what I saw. But yeah. I mean, that's just an educated guess. And I'm probably not far off the mark. I would think so. Yeah. I remember when my son was coming out of his addiction and one of the things he would always tell me he struggled with was confidence and identity and worth. And I would say, but I built you up. I encouraged you. I complimented you. I praised you. And he'd say, it has nothing to do yeah. with anybody else. I didn't believe it. It's right. not that you got it wrong, mom. It's that I didn't see it. Well, you know, and it's interesting you say that because one of the things we talked about, I remember this early on in the rooms, is how the outcomes are the same for us as it is for the user. I mean, we can we can do crazy stuff. And my problem is I was doing crazy things and I wasn't high. Yep. So I didn't think I was doing crazy things. I mean, I wanted to kill dealers. I wanted to do all sorts of stuff down the road as those things arose. And I never gave it a second thought because I'm not high. Right. So I can't be, I can't, my I can't be thinking wrong. I learned an awful lot about myself in the room. She just got me there. I yeah. thought I was there to, to find a way to take care of her or help her or cure her or whatever we say that is. And, and that turned out to be totally not the case. And it took me a while to figure that out too. Yeah, because you think initially you're going because the situation's yeah. going to get better or you're going to fix your addicted person. Well, she And she was in a teen outpatient program after a while at one of the local places. And, and that's where... I, they told my ex that we needed to go to this family support group that they were having there. She came home and presented that to me. And <laughs> I, I, I think I probably told you what my answer was. I can't use it here, but my basic answer was that she would just straighten herself out. I, I don't have any problems. Right. It's all her. Uh, it's she all would just straighten herself out. I wouldn't be, need to be here or any of that sort yeah. of stuff because I hadn't come to understand what my own thinking was like. Because yeah. like I said, I'm, I'm the dad. I'm, I'm here to save my kids when I think they're trying to hurt themselves. And, that's what I saw. Or and someone I saw, else is trying to yeah, hurt him, which well, is exactly, what led even you to, worse. But, right. but I, I saw this as her hurting herself, and I still had to swing into action to do what I had to do. Yeah. Try to do what I was trying to do. And none of it worked. None of it worked. Well, how long were you in the madness of it without doing work on yourself? How long did that go on? Gosh, you know, I'll tell you, because it, I mean, I, I came into the rooms in the, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, somewhere in there, 
when she was in that teen adaptation. So I'll bet you this went on for at least five or six years before that. I, it went on before there were drugs. I mean, it was other one behavior or another, whether she was depressed or bipolar. We went to see psychologists and all that sort of stuff. And what they were saying in those days just scared me to death, you know, in terms of what they had in mind, in terms of what they thought they should. I mean, it was, I think bipolar was still a pretty new subject on the surface. And a lot of the, 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 the drug or the therapies that they were recommending for it were, were actually drugs had been invented for other things, but they said, we find that this works with such and such and all yeah. this sort of stuff. And I'm listening to this guy and it just sounds to me like he's taking a shot. And, and like, I feel like, am I, am I offering my child up to be a guinea pig for this? Yeah. Because it was still so new and it scared me. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to force her to do that. Yeah. She didn't want to take any pills anyway. I mean, that was kind of part of her things. Whatever we did end up doing, she wouldn't, she wouldn't take the pills. She didn't like yeah. the way they made her feel. And I think that's not an uncommon response you get from a lot of people. They wanted her to do, uh, like, I, I don't know, I hate to say any specific drugs because I make you wrong, but it's just like how they use uh, amphetamines to help hyperactive children. It was one right. of those kind yeah. of things. Where like, You're going to give speed. We're going to try this. Right. Yeah, and it just scared me. They said, if you see this response, take her to the hospital one point. Oh, my. Yeah. No way. No, I, I just thought, yeah. no, I'll, we'll have to find another way. Um, that was my best decision at the time. Did she have any background of trauma? Not to my knowledge, but you know what? That's an interesting thing because I, I do believe there were some events in her life that I didn't know about at the time that actually I've come into knowing relatively recently. She may have been molested as a child. Yeah. And that's come to light. I don't know how, how to analyze any of those yeah. things. I'm not that kind of a professional. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, I think we all have traumas and you don't even remember what they're after. Uh, the reason I ask is because I remember in my um, early 20s, I went to see our family doctor because I was having migraines, but I was also having a lot of like nervousness and depression and kind of meltdowns. And I was, I was, I'm pretty self-aware. So I was catching certain patterns in myself. And I went to see this doctor and I said, I keep having conflict with my best girlfriends. I can't get along with my mom. I, ha I was just kind of telling him these patterns and this misery I was feeling and seeing. So he put me on and antidepressant, it was pretty strong. And I did it for about, I would say three months and I ended up taking myself off of it just because my logic was, I'm not feeling anything. And if I'm feeling bad, at least I'm still me and I'm facing things normal. And I went back to him and told him I got off of it or whatever. But looking back years later, finding myself having gone through therapy in the rooms and working all of that out, had he asked me some questions about my home life, about having a child young, about, you know, the misery of my relationship with my mother, about some of the school issues I had dealt with and never really recovered from. These were trauma issues. It wasn't needing uh, medication that kind of numbed me or squashed that. See, it was trauma. Up, and I think that brings up an interesting point because once again, I'm not a medical type. I just observe. Right. And, and I'm getting into And I'm not saying right. that's wrong for some well, people, absolutely. but for me, it was trauma. And it, well, see, for and some people, it is. Well, and then the other question that raised is, okay, so we do this now, and even if it works perfectly, which I don't know that they ever do, you can't do that forever. And somewhere right. along the line, you got to quit doing it. And somewhere along the line, we have to find a way to address the issues that cause yes. the need for that rather than, see, and I think today there's a perception that all I got to do is take this pill and my life will be better. And I'm not talking about just opioids. I'm talking about, you know, like yeah. behavioral drugs and that, right. Whether it's Adderall or Zantac or whatever the Zantac, or Benzos or yeah, whatever, whatever they are, I think yeah they have a great place in someone who is going through some process of therapy, but they can't be forever. And then what do you do 
when they become not forever when you're done with them. And your stuff is still there. Yeah, and I mean, that doesn't make your stuff go away. Exactly right. a good way to put that. And so I, I've seen people do that, and I just wonder about those things. And I mean, I went to see a uh, counselor when I went through my divorce, and they offered me that, and I said no. Right. I mean, I didn't feel myself out of control. I mean, I'm probably a milder case, but I think I think anyone who's had a, a family member that suffers this probably has a little mild PTSD or something yeah. like that. And uh, But I just thought, I'm going to deal with this through the rooms. Yeah. I believe in the 12 steps. I'm a 12-stepper. And uh, there'll be ups and downs and all these things. I, I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff I find out about how my mind works. And I can apply that to a lot of other people, too. And most of it, I think, had to do with I felt I wasn't an adequate father. Obviously, I failed because my daughter became addicted. And you believed you caused it. Well, I, not necessarily that I caused it, but that I couldn't stop it right. or do anything else with it. I mean... I see one purpose of the parent is to protect your children and raise yeah. them to an age they can take care of themselves. This was a failure if I could ever see one. Yeah. And I mean, I tried everything. And then, of course, then we get into the whole insanity of trying everything at least 10 times each time. A and little you have bit one harder. more good idea. This yeah. is going to work. This well, time. maybe so. And, and a little <laughs> bit harder. And, I, and what doesn't work doesn't work because I'm not trying hard enough. Right. Or I'm not doing this it right. madness yeah. circle that goes on and on and on and never seems to stop. And, uh, and it took me a long time to understand. That, that was all the product of my own mind, that yeah. what I was seeing is, is it was an interpretation, and I was probably right about some of it, probably not about a lot of it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you're and not I, in peace in the midst of that anyway. There is no peace in the midst of that, absolutely not. That's the other thing is they say you can find a way to live regardless of what the loved one continues to do. I found that an impossible thing to buy into. I did too. In fact, I think at first when I thought these 12 steps are great, but I'm too screwed up, this won't work for me. My situation is too <laughs> urgent right yeah. now. It's too pressing to apply boring principles to it that, you know, that's what you kind of think in the, initially because it's so, you're in such a panic of urgency, life and death. I'm, I've got crisis coming to my door. I've got these characters coming to my door, these yeah. people that I raised my child to not spend time with. You know, I wouldn't have wanted my, my son to spend have pizza with some of these people he was spending the night with and but once they hit 18 you know you can't track them down and drag them back home well the, and the point you make that i think is really valid is very few people could just jump out of their seat and just do anything for the first time i mean if you wanted to run a marathon you're not getting out of that seat and running right. 26 miles you're training and, and nobody yeah. sees this coming so there's no there was no training i was i was flying by the seat of my pants so to speak yeah now that I've been in the rooms for a long time, I suspect, knock on wood, that I never have to, is that if this problem presents itself to me again, I'll, I'll behave a different way than I did the first time. And that's that's how I gauge success in the program. It's the same situation happens, but I don't react the same way yeah. as I used to. And the way I react may not be perfect, but it's not like it used to be. Right. And that's progress. Or you don't get lost in it as long. Yeah. Where something used yeah. to make you freak out and meltdown for three weeks, now it doesn't blast yeah. throughout the rest of the day I have a moment because it that, works. Yeah, I have a moment and it depresses me and right. I get bummed out and then I go, wait a second. You've put a lot of, this is all my self-talk, <laughs> yeah. you've put a lot of time and effort into into finding serenity and peace. And then I was admonished once by one of my mentors, you don't let anything, anything take your peace. Right. Anything that costs you that is too expensive is the saying I like to use. Yeah. I think it makes you step outside and you look around corners to where if I call this person and try to, you know, shout yeah. how things are supposed to be to them or reason with them or get them told, I know what it's going to lead to and what it's going to lead to. And you don't take the poison. Well, you know, but it, early on, I think you almost have to. I, you know what? I, I don't think I would have believed in this program. If you hadn't failed at it? If I hadn't failed at it repeatedly <laughs> until I was willing to say I give up. Yeah. Just like in, in my program, when we have sponsors and usually... The thing you say to a sponsor is, 
I want what you have. Tell me what to do. I'm not going to question you. Tell me what to do. I can't figure it out. A sponsor is kind of like a mentor. Yeah, to kind of guide you through a right. program of Al-Anon is what I am and Naranon is what right. I am. Yeah. And, uh, and you have a sponsor and you work steps and all those sort of things. And, and I've been at it a long time and, and it's been the, one of the most rewarding things in my life. But I, I think it was almost luck that I stayed there. I, I really, I, I see a lot of people come into rooms and I think when you realize the, the, the extent of the work, a lot of people just yeah. back down from that because it's a change in the way you live. I mean, even to this day, I go to a lot of meetings because the world is out there. We're having a nice conversation right now, but when we're done, I'm walking out your door. Guess what? The world's out there waiting for me. Right. And I don't know what's on my voicemail or anything else. And it's just going to meet me at, at its speed, not at my speed. And my choices are, do I like the reaction and the bouncing around like a, like a piece of wood floating in a stream through the rapids or can I find a way to maintain my peace? And not that I agree with what I see, but that I can be okay. It's just people being people, places being places, right. et cetera, and so on. And, and you learn to let go that way. And it's way easier said than done. And, it's a process. And, well, sure. and all that's like a weight loss and, process. And it's all done within the context of being a human being, which what yeah. that means is that you're going to trip and fall. And every time you fall, all you got to do is get up again. You don't have to, yeah. you don't have to apologize. Just get up and dust yourself off and get back to work. And this is what I think a lot of people don't want to do. They, they want someone, like I went to the rooms thinking I was going to get a list of eight things I would go out and do, one, two, eight three, things. four, five, whatever. That would any like, number of things. I go, bam, 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 and that'll stop, and this will stop, and I can get back to living my nice place. <laughs> and that's what I went to the rooms for. Yeah. I did not go to the rooms for somebody to tell me, you have a part in this as a family member. A part. I go, yes, oh, no, 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 I don't. I'm a father. I've got the right part. Right. She's got the wrong part. Yeah. She's the one that needs to straighten out. They just all laughed at me. <laughs> they literally just right. laughed at me. And that kind of got me mad for a while, but I stuck right. around long enough to find out why. Well, I, I had come to the realization, and I say it all the time now, just as my son was using prescription narcotics to be well, I was using him. Yeah. I used him for my wellness. I used, is, how is he doing today? Is he working a program? Is he safe? Is he doing saying the right things? Okay, then I can be well today. He would tell me how my days were going to go according to how he was. Yeah. And I think that we don't realize that when we're in it. No, it, it, yeah. there's so many ways to look at this, I can tell you. I mean, there's even an upside to it to a degree. In other words, if, if I didn't walk into the rooms, I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. I wouldn't know Sandy. I wouldn't be talking to her at all. And, and my relationship with her is a little different than my relationship with you, but both of you are friends of mine. Yeah. And some of the most wonderful people I've ever met were in there. And so yeah. now I can look at this and go, and you know, my daughter's doing well right now. She's, right. she's doing well, and no thanks to me, I've stayed out of her way. Yeah. And that's that was what was hard to do. Could I get out of the way and let what needs to happen happen? That's difficult for a parent. I, I can't yeah. speak for the spousal side of things. I had issues with my spouse. And actually, I think I had issues that I could use the program for, but they weren't drugs or alcohol. They were other behaviors. I think it can be used for everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. See, and that was the point I was going to is that I don't think a lot of people understand the breadth of what you can get out of this. There's a lot more to this than the drugs right. and alcohol. Just, it's just behavior and living. In a, and, and like I said, we all, everybody says the same thing, I just want peace. Right. What is that? How do I do that? I just want to be well. And, right. and you know what they say about parents, you can only be as happy as your least happy child. Yeah. That's the American way. That is that's, the American and, and way. it's not a yeah. good way to go through life because someone's always feeling like they're suffering for something. Right. You know, so. Yeah. But it's, it's tough to also watch as a parent. You, I want to jump in there. My dad didn't jump in for me. I never understood that. Not at that time now. I look back and thought, Spending more time with my children to say grow up would be better. My dad was a busy guy. Right. I always used the baseball game as, as the thing. So when I came home, 
to Columbus to raise my kids, I thought I'm going to be involved. I'm going to go to all their sport events. I'm going to do all this stuff. And I think what it ultimately did was it made them think that, hey, dad's always around, which, which I thought, well, what's wrong with that? And I think on the surface, nothing, right. except when they look at you to say, okay, dad straightened this out all the time, whatever it is. And so all that idea of more time was good time. I don't want to say it blew up on me, but it didn't turn out the way I thought it would. It made so much think sense. Anything I, ever does. No, it doesn't, but it made so much sense when I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. I can work half as much in Columbus as I did on the East Coast, and I can take my kids to school and I can be involved in their lives more because I, I just, my dad, it was cool when he showed up, but I knew he was a busy guy and I always wanted him to show up more. I, there's no bad feelings about that, don't get me wrong, but I just thought with that it was more would be better and I'm not so sure that it is. No. You know, I think there's something, there is a force that is driving us all to the rooms, to some sort of room. I have people say to me all the time, if I would have known more and what to expect, you know, if I would have known more and known sooner, maybe my son wouldn't have been so deep into addiction or I wouldn't have done handled it this way or that way. But I knew early on because I had an addicted mother, so I tried to set up an insurance policy around our life yes. that would lead us so far away from the risk of addiction but it still came in. But what it did was that adversity led us to have to get well, both of us. So I think that adversity is leading us all to the rooms and to get well. And if you think about the fact that we are in a historical epidemic, something is, there is a driving force causing us to get real, get open and connect. I think that we're being pulled to that. Well, and I think you allude to something very important. I think that it is what, what we call a spiritual way of life is what right. it changes you into. And, and uh, some of us go kicking and screaming the whole way because I'm going, I'm not the problem. Um, now it's like I go to the rooms now because I want to kind of cheer other people on because it's not easy to stay there. Right. I mean, I see, especially it seems to me for men, uh, fathers particularly, is that they come in and what they hear isn't what they want to hear. And I don't think anybody comes in here really want to hear right. it first yeah. and so they, they there's a lot of floating around the program and going back and staying away and coming back and all that sort of stuff and there's one consistent thing that I see in these people and some friends of mine have recently started coming back to the rooms is now they understand what they miss by not coming back yeah because you just assume well the problem's gone away either they've got uh, either they've got sobriety or they've moved away or whatever has happened it's kind of out of your life and they kind of just okay good this is over I don't need the rooms yeah. anymore and I think it's not like that. Not if not if you're truly to get the benefits out of it. It's a life. It's a life change. It's like walking think. or running every day. You bring, yeah. you know you bring up a point that I've come to realize lately is that people often don't want to do the work when things are okay or they're calm. Well, but that's no the to do. right. But that's the best <laughs> time to do the work because when crisis comes, the tools are ready and you have a plan in place. It's like a tornado drill. But mm -hmm. people don't want to do the work. They don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to talk about it. You know, uh, somebody came to one of the rooms recently, and one of the things she said was, being here is acknowledging it. Being here is saying it out loud, and this situation is true and real and happening. And then she kind of disappeared again for a few weeks because, you know, mental health and addiction and things, they, they happen in cycles. You know, I don't know if it's with a full moon or what it is, but they happen in cycles, and then they'll calm down. And then there's a buildup toward it, an explosion, and then it calms down. So, but when things are okay and they're calm, you know, well, especially early on, you want to go back to turning away from it, not talking about it, not feeling it, not working on it. Well, and I think what you're describing there is also the mechanics of relapse. I think right. that's what happens. And, but, you know, I, I sit there and one thing that I've learned is that 
you know, I, I think what people really want to do is they don't feel they need to suffer pain or they don't need to suffer it. And understanding the difference between suffering and pain, that there's a difference between suffering and pain. What's the difference? Well, pain is, is what happens in life. You lose a loved one, you lose a dog or something like that, or something terrible happens in your life. Suffering happens when you say it shouldn't have happened. When you struggle against it. Resistance to what's real and clinging to what's real. I can change that it happens. Or or that it it shouldn't happen and try to justify why it should have happened. And and the reality is, is that when you use words like should, could, would, in my opinion, you're arguing with reality. These are things that have happened anyway. For you to say they should have happened, well, that may be true, but it's a moot point because it did. You know, so and it doesn't you, mean so there's you nothing you can but do. You're expending you a ton, like and you're expending a ton of energy on, yeah. on stuff that's a waste of your energy. It truly is. The bottom line is things are as they are, you know, and you can you can choose to work with them or you can choose to fight against them. But I, I gotta I gotta say fighting against them is a losing battle. I, I've never won an argument against reality. No. You know, so why why spend my time arguing about how things are supposed to be? The reality is that she suffers from the disease of addiction, and I do believe it's a disease. I didn't at first because of my own background. Yeah. And that if she had cancer or she had diabetes and she didn't feel like taking her drugs, whatever it was to keep her operating, I wouldn't get mad at her and throw her out. I'd, I'd be losing my mind. Like, why don't you want to take care of her? Right. Well, this is the same thing. Right. But there's yeah. other stigma attached with this. It is. The word heroin, the word opioid. It's not Addiction, cancer. It's not, that, right? it's not it's other it's disease. Right. But it is a mental health And it's health the behavior issue. that it drives these people to sometimes that it, that is so immoral. I always say it's not like it's a person who's lazy or greedy so they're robbing a bank to further a lifestyle. It's not like that. It's not criminal like that. But it drives them to this different code of ethics out of desperation. Well, you know, and I think to remember a couple things. I think there's a couple ways I, I believe people come into addiction. One of it seems to be in the medical sense you hurt yourself. Right. You get prescribed and you get stuck on them that way and there's no weaning process and we can talk about that yeah. for hours and hours. And then there's kind of what I did when I was younger because I was a rebel and I'm amazed by now but the grace of God that I never got hurt doing drugs. Is all these things, whether it's drinking or drugging or whatever anybody relates to, it always started out with let's go have some fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you ever drank when you were younger or you ever smoked pot or anything like that. I did all those things. And it wasn't like we went out to get addicted. We were going to go out there. It was fun. Friday night before Absolutely. a football game. And, seeing what I didn't and then you'd go to school for the next right. week or you'd go on with your life and forget about well, it until you know the what? next – it was occasion-based. Yeah. Somebody's wedding. It was an event. It wasn't because it was Thursday night or because it was a coping skill. Well, and even if it was, though, I didn't see people getting addicted like this. What I didn't understand at the time is that the statistics indicate that you know, one out of five people who tries drugs will end up getting addicted. It's a statistic, 18%, I think is actually what they say. It is. It's a statistical probability. Every time, yeah. nowadays, every time I walk by a playground full of children, I look at them and I'm going, yeah. boy, I'd like to know who it's going to be. I'd like to start working with them now. Yeah. Because I think that's, but how do you know? And nobody knows till they try it. And I think there's a lot of, well, I think there's a lot of people out there that have never tried drugs. And if they had, they might have become addicted, right. but they just never did. So that's, that's one of the ways to avoid it, but it's an unknowing way to avoid it because you just never did it. And that's fine. And that's fine. I mean, that's what some people like that are new don't understand is that there is no bad chemical. There's a bad reaction. And just like we've said many times, I can drink a glass of wine and forget about any kind of substance again for six months, but someone else will, and they're gone for months and they're on a bender. I can eat peanut butter all day long, but there are some people that can't be in the same building as a peanut because they're so allergic. There is no bad chemical. There's bad chemistry and reactions. And and you know what, but we all, and you know, here's the common response I get from the non-believers 
believers, so to speak, is that they made a bad choice, and I don't care if they made a choice. And yes, it was a choice. But my began, son's but choice it, was made for him from a, a prescription pad of a surgeon. True, but but you go into that not knowing you're going to get addicted, and nobody right. knows who that is. So the idea so that either he, way it doesn't matter. He moved into the medical choice, and I'm saying right. the ones that try it for fun don't know yeah. it either. So exactly. they're all just starting out to have but, fun. But what's it matter? Because now here we are. Yeah. We're in now this. Here we are. Right. So I think I think it's important to remember because people want to ostracize the addict and call they want to find fault. Well, that or just. They're, you know, like the term junkie is the one I think of from my own time frame. I don't hear that used much anymore, but it's a derogatory comment. I think even calling a child an addict is derogatory because it's an objectification. I, I try to stick to it, believe me, I have a hard time with this, because it's not my addict, it's my child that suffers from the disease mm -hmm. of addiction. And if you don't believe it's a disease, then go to the National Institute of Health and all those, you know, things that our authorities that know about this. It's one of my friends in the room says he walked up to his kid once says, what do you think you know about heroin that uh, that the NIH doesn't know? What's the NIH? National Institute okay. of Health and all the people that do all those studies. Did he know? Did he know? No, no, there's no answer. <laughs> that, of course, the father also realized it was the wrong question to ask because he was trying to just scare him or yeah. shame him into straightening out. And that always works. Yeah, well, you've got to try it. you got to eliminate the effort. One more you know? idea, right? Yeah, because if you, if you don't, I, I think until you purge yourself of all your ideas, and I mean really run out of serious ideas, you're not willing to listen to anything else. Just like I look at now, uh, my, my thought is that everybody belongs in the rooms. I, I just believe it with all my heart. One of my teachers told me, well, the way to put it is everybody would benefit from being in the rooms, but nobody comes to the rooms voluntarily. Right. I mean, you do, but yeah. you don't come there because, hey, I'm. let's check in and see what this 12-step work is all about. This is very rigorous self-inspection self and reflection and all those things. Because I'm looking at my own character defects, yeah. and, and my my big things were fear of certain things, and so that's what I worked on in my in my 12-step work. My daughter was going to do whatever she wanted to do, and, and and I could have chosen to do this a lot of different ways. I'm glad I chose the way I did because here I am, just like what you said. Here we are, and I'm, I I've come out of the other side of that to some degree, and I knock on wood every time I say something positive like that because it's all basically in the moment today. But for the moment, I'm content. I'm at peace. So I think the program has served me well, and I have a great relationship with that daughter right now. And she's even called me up and apologized and regret things she's done. And I've tried to tell her, you know, it's really strange. I appreciate your saying, but once again, if you don't do what you do, I don't get to do what I'm doing, and I love what I'm doing right now. Yeah. You know, and so I, I think if I'm going to be true to myself, I have to understand and accept she had to do what she had to do, and I've had to do what I had to do. And it's just like was described to us when we first started coming to meetings. You just got to work on yourself and let everybody else work on themselves if they choose. Yeah. But you can't make anybody change their ways unless they're willing to do what it takes. Yeah, you can only work on you, and which is the hardest place to come to. Well, because the hardest thing to do is to get out of the way and let what needs to happen happen. That's just the scariest thought in the world when it came to my yeah. children. Yeah. I just, I even, even thinking about it now stirs a lot of emotion in me. And I've, I've been through this for, I've been out this side of it for two or three years now. Once again, I knock on wood every time I say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we can still relapse. I mean, my son can call me and if he calls me with a certain urgency or a hastiness, I start catching myself wanting to triage every situation yeah. in his life for him. Yeah. And then I have to breathe and I don't take the hooks or sometimes maybe I will and I don't consider it a failure. You, well, know? you know, and you bring up another really good point because I remember there was a time when I finally took to the program and it took me a long time. 
because I thought this will be great. I'll be bulletproof. I won't be able to be hurt anymore <laughs> because I, I suffered a lot in my life. It wasn't from, it wasn't really from my daughter. It was other things that I began to apply and have my aha moments. Yeah. But I thought the 12 steps would make me bulletproof. And, and it wasn't ever meant to make me bulletproof. What it's meant to do is give me a way of getting out yeah. of those moments when those things happen. And you're right. Relapse is, is as common for us as it is for the user because of this thing between my ears. Yeah. And uh, it's, I call it the most dangerous neighborhood in the world, and I try not to go alone. You know, <laughs> It really is because it'll tell me all sorts of crazy things that are going to happen to her. And, and what that does is cause all sorts of cascade effects that are not pleasing and not good feeling and, and, and all those sort of things. And I've been there, and I don't want to be there anymore. You know, I, um, I remember when uh, years ago, the guy who hosted the show, America's Most Wanted, remember when his son was kidnapped yes. and his name was Adam yes. and the movie came out about this kidnapping and then all of a sudden it seemed like kidnapping was everywhere. You'd hear it in the news and when my son was born, I remember having this fear of him being kidnapped so I would not leave him. I didn't want him alone. I didn't want anybody picking him up. I was really sick and I remember my mind would go so far into if he got kidnapped, all the things that would happen yes. to him and I, then when he went off into this chemical dependency and He's over the age of 18. Sometimes I wouldn't hear from him. There'd be those times of silence, and I didn't know where he was, who he's with, what he's doing, what's going on. It was the exact same feelings as if he had been kidnapped. It, I felt like he'd been abducted, and I was imagining all these terrible things happening to him, and that's really what your mind does to you. And then he'd call me and say, oh, you know, I was over at this person's house, or I, you know, and it was it was never as bad as I thought. I mean, sometimes it is, but. Yes. And, and, and it was, it was, yeah, I, every time the phone rang, I, my stomach would twist. I just didn't know who would be calling me to tell me what I, I cannot describe the feeling. It was. It's primal oh fear. My, oh primal my God. fear. I, yeah. And I can, I can bring myself back to that. Yeah. Me too. This is a very powerful instrument that we've got. And, we can't run and, with it. Well, because it, it's meant to solve problems. And so I think what happens is that we put it to work. Uh, like what you say, if, of all the possible, when I think of my daughter, and, and there are, from this second floor, millions and millions of possible outcomes that could occur in any moment. If I were to, if I were using this on my daughter, I am going to glom onto the worst case scenario, which is she just died. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the one that I believe is going to happen. Yet it never happened. But boy, I'll tell you, once I realized that that was going to happen, I went through all those processes or all those feelings that went with it. And it was, it was brutal. I, I just, I can't even describe it to people. And people that have been there know exactly what I'm saying. That's but people right. that can't imagine, I experienced rage. I've never experienced rage in my life before that. And, and all these things started happening to me. And I just went, wow. I didn't think I could get like that. I didn't think anything. Could, I thought I always had control of myself. Right. And I realized how out of control I could be without being under the influence. That was the mind blowing. Yeah. Because what's my excuse? My daughter had an excuse. She was addicted. She couldn't control it anymore. What's mine? Yeah, right. What's mine? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, it's amazing how the wheels are swimming in motion. I can only say it's a, it was a universal force. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I call mine God. An awakening. But, you yeah, mean? an awakening, absolutely. Yeah. And it was just not a speedy process either. And there were many yeah. aha moments. There's some basic concepts that I came to understand. And that's really what allowed me to have the aha moments. Yeah, I do compare it a lot to weight loss because sometimes you fail on that diet and you go not just cheat for a day, but gorge yourself. And then you feel awful for the next two or three days and like a failure. And should I just give up and might yeah. as well just become this way? And yeah. then it's a, it's a matter of getting yourself back on track mentally. It all starts with that mental launch pad. That's the foundation of it. And so the problem for everyone in the world is what we think of ourselves then, isn't it? it I guess that is the root of it, right? It's the, it's the lack of.
of feeling worthy or um, I, I'm not enough or I'm not tall enough or I don't make enough money or I don't have a big this enough won't house. Work out. Or, and the thing yeah. is, those lies come to you in your own voice and they use your own oh, weaknesses they do. Oh, absolutely. They do. That's absolutely. the strong part of it. The power is unbelievable. Right. And it's, and it's amazing when you really can kind of objectively look at it and it just, it, I just realized that I met my enemy. It was me. Yeah. It was me That's always. That was, that was hard to come to grips with. I, I did that when I was working my fifth step. I was sitting in the library going over stuff, and all of a sudden I realized this has always been about me. Yeah. My daughter was just my ticket in. It was right. always I love that. about my ticket me. in. Yeah, and I'm glad, I'm glad I got the ticket in because my life was out of control, and I didn't even know it. I yeah. thought it was normal. I thought it was typical. You think it's someone else? Oh, yeah. It's out well, of control. And I think, I think what that shows me is everybody in the world's at war with something. Yeah. You, know, you and I are here for a similar reason. It happens to be opioids and the epidemic, and there's a lot of people that happen. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are just, they're lost in thought. Lost you know, in they're thought. On, they're on automatic, and they think that's okay because they don't know anything else, and they can't think of anything else because why would I lie to myself? Right. There's the question. I'm believing it as truth. I've lied to myself for so long, I can't <laughs> tell you. You know, and it's just, and not in a bad way. I don't mean that anything bad. It's just what we do. It is what we do. It's that negative self-talk and that negative direction that your mind takes well, you in. I think it what drives people to addictions of all types, and it's what drives the rest of us just insane. Yeah. Is that I, I, what did I do wrong? Or I'll, I'll tell you the one I like is, the, is that I see here from moms a lot. If I had done this, they wouldn't be so. Like there's something yeah. they could have done. And I go, the assumption is, yeah, you could have done a lot of different things. The assumption yeah. is, is that if you've done something different, they wouldn't have become addicted. You don't know that. You're just assuming you're doing something different. Well, it could have been worse. You know, there's worse things that happen in this world to people getting addicted to drugs. Although, when it's in your family, that is the worst thing for the moment. But yeah. there's a lot of things that can happen to people. Yeah. And, and it's it's funny how our first thoughts are always negative. Yeah. There's there's this family that um I will cross paths with from time to time, and they're very successful family, successful in law enforcement, politics, and all of them just seem to be. But when you run into them, they are so rude you know you've been around them i've sat and had dinner with them but they will and they don't just do it to me they do it to everybody they they act like they have never seen you before and so i i was telling my son i ran into this family again and he said you know it's the weirdest family because they're also successful but it's like you'll end up finding out they all were secretly cartel or tied to like a like a pedophile ring or something because they're so rude and so dark acting but they present so well but the thing is, when I would run into them, my mind would always go to, what did I do wrong? Why don't they like yeah. me? What do they know about me? Is it because I have this stuff in my family or I'm not as accomplished? Or I, I bring it back to me, but sometimes the situation has nothing to do with me. Maybe somebody's just rude. Maybe they're just a-holes. Well, and that or you Isn't it funny how you well, go first to the negative? Well, it's always what you're lacking. It's, it's as if whatever they've got, they got all the shiny, sparkly stuff, whatever you want to call that. You go, boy, I'd like to have all that. I, I got a feeling now that the way my program has worked for me is that if I had all those things, I'd be a dangerous For person. me, the sparkly stuff was just confidence. I would like to be yeah. that confident to seem like I had it together. You know, well, but I always knew I didn't. Yeah. And, and that's how you think about yourself. But yeah. The whole idea of possessions and acquiring things and, and, and that more is better and all that sort of stuff. So obviously I'm lacking because I don't have those things that yeah. they've got. Uh, I'd like to live their life. And I'm going, no, I... Now when I think about it, when I look around me, I don't think there's anybody's life I want to live but my own. Right. And I think that's how I know I've reached my own You've point reached of sanity. Peace, right. Yeah, because it's like I don't want all the money. 
it'd be nice, but I know what I would do, and it wouldn't be intentional. Or the I would, I would or buy, all the degrees. Well, but I could buy a fast car, and yeah. in the moments of discretion, slam into an abutment and kill myself, and maybe hurt someone else as well. Right. So I call this being kept right-sized, is what I call yeah. it. Yeah, having the emotional and mental success for me is, is that was the, accept, the success I was always going for. And so mentioning that, what we talk about emotional sobriety, yep. and it seems as if you've achieved that, and you're on track with that as well as your daughter is had some years of momentum. So there's peace. What would you say was the craziest story, craziest night of your life in the midst of the madness? I, I think that was probably the night, the night I grabbed the baseball bat. I was going to kill some dealers. I was going to kill him with a baseball bat. This kind of, I can almost laugh at it now, uh, but I had had it up to here. I knew who her dealer was. And I think half the world, if there's a family out there that has children that suffer from this disease, would have cheered me on. But my brother had to point out to me, and I know this to be a fact now, is that murdering drug dealers is against the law, just like murdering other people. Yeah. You know, and so right. where I could have, and, and more than likely dealers, they don't carry baseball bats, they carry guns. So what am I doing with a baseball bat? Yeah. So the, 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 the end results are the same for me. I can get killed. Um, I can find myself in an institution, which I do. I, I, I'm in Naranon and Alanon. Those are institutions. I can find recovery. And those are all the choices I've made versus not wanting to die. Yeah, or kill someone else. Or kill someone else in the process. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I don't know if I've come close to killing people before. I think two times I have. And I, I it just, the, the rage that I felt those moments, I didn't think I was capable of. And it was just from words that were said to me. I, in five seconds, I didn't know where I was, and I was standing in a house I'd lived in for 25 years. I mean, I blanked out. I was in a, I, I can't even describe it to you. It almost makes me uh, break down right now thinking about yeah. it, because I always thought at least I could control my own thinking. But I mean, in this instant, I wanted to kill this person. And oh my goodness, I'd still be in jail today. Yeah, people this, can make us crazy. Yeah, this voice <laughs> came across my mind and just screamed, stop. And yeah. once again, I'll just say that's the grace of my higher power. I walked out of that house and I went down to a park near my place and sat for three hours. That was one of the scariest moments in my life. And it was just total mayhem between my ears. I, I couldn't get a grip on myself. I mean, that would have been easy for me to pick up a gun and blow my, my brains out. And that's why I'm thankful I don't know. You know? Yeah. Because I just, I just, I, it just blew me away that I could think like that. Because I consider myself to be a very stable guy. And, uh, but then this problem, this problem proved to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know that you, you need connectedness and that's what the program does you're, you're you're with your own kind we all here suffer from the same thing yeah the human condition we, we love someone who suffers from the disease yeah. or we have done both of them or whatever mm -hmm. it might be it doesn't matter because as you alluded to Bumler, even bill w one of the founders of alcoholics anonymous talked about the need to be emotionally sober and, and also when we talk about emotional sobriety that's how everybody fits into the rooms yeah. Because everybody needs emotional sobriety, and very few people have it. That's the truth. Very few people have it. And, they think and they do, but they, they're that's, thinking. That's they true. Do. And even when things are going along well and you have some level of calm, life eventually drops everyone to their knees at some point, in some way. A lot of people are being dropped by this epidemic because they love someone or they're pulled into it. But that's just a fact. We need the rooms. We need each other. We need to connect and have people that have support and positive regard. I remember my support group before I found the rooms were the people I thought I could vent to and lean on, and none of them knew what to say, and everything they said was either wrong advice or just made me feel worse about it. So we need the rooms. We need people who have been through it or understand and have compassionate regard for it. Well, you know, and one of the things I saw, and I saw it when I was at a 
a meeting at one of the local, uh, was, I mentioned Talbot Hall. Yeah. It was, it was at their place. And there was a gentleman in the room and he was all inked up and he spoke and he was just a person there speaking, saying some raising his hand or whatever. And he had been, uh, uh, he had been in prison for 10 years. He was a, he was a recovered heroin addict. Um, and he was dating someone who was addicted and he just couldn't figure out how to get her sober. And I'm listening in, and this guy was an addict for 10 years. Did 10 years in prison, he's 30 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and or maybe a little older than that. And he's as baffled by it as I am. <laughs> and that made me realize that we are all unique in so many different ways. And I think it goes for the addict. I mean, we can talk about addiction. We can talk about a lot of things as groups. But when it comes to the individual person, because it's, there's dual diagnosis, there's all sorts of things going on in this world. We've all got fingerprints, but no two are alike. So I think many of us know people that suffer from the disease of addiction, but no two people that suffer are exactly No, the same. that's right. Like I said, I can eat peanut butter all day long, and some people can't walk into the same room with a peanut. Agreed. We are all different. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's different for everyone. Yeah. And, and I think the process that I've gone through is, is the normal process. I, I don't think there's anything special I've done. It took me longer than I thought it would be, but I think I've been there more because of myself. My daughter's problem kind of took care of itself when I got out of the way and let what needed to happen happen. And I, to be honest, didn't do that by choice. It was just thrust upon me. And I yeah. had that aha moment that, wow, this, this works even if I didn't plan on it, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of, there's a, there's a little dark humor to the whole thing about the, the aha moments when you discover how this really works and, and what's best for each of us. It, it was there all the time. Yeah. It was there all the time. I remember calling my son when I was doing going through step four and that's when you're taking your inventory oh, yeah. and your resentments and all the things that you know that you don't like about yourself or that have happened from someone else and I would call him I was really frustrated and it seemed like memories would come up or someone would cross my path during that process and he was like yes and the most awesome part of it is that when you get to the end of the step you realize you had a part in all of it yeah and, and I love that and that doesn't and that doesn't mean you're to blame for any of it we all have parts. We're we all, all family play a part. members. Right. And, and the meaning that you play a part means you have a role in a family. Yeah. And families don't like talking about things outside their walls, which is kind of the opposite of what we do in the rooms. Yeah. You know, it's a safe place to talk. Families are not always such a safe place to talk because you're told not to talk. Or you're told you're wrong or you're you're, not, it's your fault. Yeah, not to feel, not to sense. Uh, not keep to your trust. mouth shut. Yeah, don't be seen. All those sort of things. Don't and, have emotion. Yeah. Don't be upset. Yeah. You're too sensitive. Yeah, you all know, those things, all, all those things. things. That are not emotional yeah. sobriety. No, they're not. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're all just. Isn't that why you say family is your second favorite F word? Indeed I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I'm so thankful that you came on. You were very open and genuine, and I hope I'll have you on again. So until next time.